Welcome to episode 79 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. When this episode airs, I will just come back from a national conference that I've been attending since 1996, which means I'm recording this intro a couple of days before I leave for the week-long conference, and I've been knee-deep in prep for a couple of days already. I have to walk my talk. I coach my clients and speak to audiences big and small about the importance of being strategic and effective while building relationships at conferences. So I've been perusing the schedule, saving sessions that interest me into my calendar, making note of speakers I wanna reach out to before the event to say hello and that I'm looking forward to their session, and generally getting my head around the reality that in a couple of days, I'll be surrounded by over 4,000 like-minded colleagues. Now, I wasn't always on top of my game, and even today, I still struggle to make time to do this prep, but I've seen the results of my effort pay off big time. Here's an example. A couple of years ago, right, just days after launching this podcast, I went to a different conference and I set an intention to meet at least three people that I could invite to be a guest to my new show. And I did some research beforehand to think about who those folks might be. When I arrived, I realized I needed to set my sights higher and I ended up lining up 10 guests. All of them were former presidents of the association and or spoke on the main stage that year and or ran multi-million dollar businesses. That gave a serious boost to my show and would not have happened if I had not done my homework ahead of time and had my first few asks plotted out before I even left home. Serendipity will happen more frequently if you have a clear understanding of what you're looking for. Do you want to see bigger and better results from your efforts to build relationships? I'm offering a complimentary 60-minute strategy session for anyone interested in learning more about my Intentional Connections Mastermind. That's an online group coaching program for women coaches and speakers. I help these entrepreneurs shift their mindset around relationship building so they can discover new connections and business opportunities in the world around them and know how to act on them. If you're ready to shift, discover, and act Sign up for your complimentary 60-minute strategy session at robbysamuels.com forward slash mastermind. On the Schmooze is proud to be a headliner on C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, a network of a half million C-level executives. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is a mother, author, business and content strategist, coach, podcaster, and blind spot reducer. She is the author of Boss Mom, the ultimate guide to raising a business and nurturing your family like a pro, and the founder of Boss Mom. She serves boss moms who yearn for more time and less guilt when it comes to building their business and raising their family, by providing the tools they need to get more out of their content and business without sacrificing their family goals. Her Boss Mom movement is all about losing the guilt when it comes to raising babies and businesses at the same time and believes that pursuing our passions and building our dreams while including our children in the process is the best way to build thriving businesses and families. As a work-at-home dad with a toddler and newborn, I am thrilled to welcome Boss Mom, 
Dana Malsef. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> Dana, thank you so much for joining us from your office. You're over, um, you're in San Diego County San Diego. area. Yeah. yeah. You're really mm-hmm. close to San Diego and San Marcos. Um, I am thrilled that you're here. As I mentioned, um, I do a lot of parent stuff and I love the idea of bringing that into this podcast because one of the things I did was build a lot of community and networking and building leadership in my parents' space. So it's kind of fun to talk to someone else who's, who's done that and really built an empire. So this is a podcast about leadership and networking and building great networks. So what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Leadership's such a, uh, an interesting concept to talk about because leading when you think about it visually means people are behind me and they're mm. following me. I'm guiding them in a place, but then like Simon Sinek comes out with his leaders eat last and it's about not being in the front, you know? And, and so there's all these different things. And I, I always talk about, you know, people say well, I had a great salesperson and then I promoted them and they were a horrible manager. Right. Mm-hmm. So the people that are good at one thing aren't, thing aren't always good at telling other people how to do that thing. And I think we think of leadership a lot as helping people, pe- people on track right? And project managing and leading are two very separate things. So when I think about leadership to me, leadership is creating other leaders. I mean, Mm. the simplest version, I I did a whole podcast episode about the new way of thinking about influencer marketing, because I was on a panel with these guys at this event as the only woman. And I was probably 20 years younger than everybody on this panel. And I'm sitting here going, why did they invite me? Like these people deal with actors and famous athletes and everything like that. But all of them, the influencer marketing, which is that like the the taking something that you are known for and leading people be, because of that influence. And they were talking about how they were leveraging their fame to help build other, you know, to help sell it, sell that fame and bottle it sort of thing. And when it got to me, I was like, I'm probably the only person here, but my entire business is built off of taking any kind of macro influence I have in creating micro influencers. And the more influencers I create, the more they build me up and the more influencers they, they create. And then all of a sudden it always trickles back to me because I become known as a person that helps build people up. And that, that competition over, you know, that sort of collaboration over competition is a very, um, real thing that we want to talk about, but nobody feels like it's possible. And so whether you're in a corporate setting or you're in your family setting, or you're in a, you know, PTA setting, or you're owning your own online business, like leadership is just all about building other people up, maximizing their strengths, which means you have to listen. Yeah. And then taking those strengths and asking them, communicating with them and saying, what do you want? What do you not want? And are you willing to work for what you want? Because I will help you get it. And that's how I approach my team and my community and my tribe and all those things. And I let other people own it because leadership is so much less about guiding people and so much more about opening the way for people and letting them know that you're going to be there when they need you. I think yeah, I just made all of that up, but I think that was that's amazing. It. No, that was amazing. <laughs> um, because I've, I've had like a year and a half worth of guests on and I've heard lots of people, you know, do what you just did. And I really resonate with what you just said because I do believe that leadership has kind of gotten in this overblown sort of way of understanding it and people are confused by it. And you're in the front of the pack, back of the pack, middle of the pack. Really, if you inspire other people 
to step up into leadership, that is leadership. Like, like very simply. You, and, and if you're a good manager, like you're a good manager, you know, you might still be a good leader, but it, you're, it's like they're not necessarily the same thing. And I, I like that you're drawing a distinction of like where your influence is and how other people having their own micro influence like actually bolsters your own. So yeah. have you seen Wonder Woman? Yes, of course. Okay. Of course. Wonder Woman, madly in love with it. Well, yeah. there's like, there's a scene, you know, where she's basically at the front and she's like, we've got to get across here. And she like takes off this big robe and she's wearing her awesome Wonder Woman outfit and she gets, steads up the stairs and everybody's like, no, don't go. And she starts walking and they start, you know, they're, they're firing and it's deflecting off of her and she starts running. And what you see is there was fear. There was massive amounts of fear. And when she stood up and she said, no, I know that I can make it to the other side. Now, I mean, not all of us are demigods, but you know, in the, right. in the, <laughs> in the beauty of this example, she got up and she started going and by them, not, not just the act of her getting up because everybody was still scared when she got to the top of the stairs, but when she started seeing that she was advancing and mm. that, that she wasn't full of it, that she was actually making strides, that there was possibility there. And then everybody got brave. Everybody followed her. And it was just a little wave at first to the people closest to her. And then it was everybody. And they rushed the other side and took over the city. And I think that's a lot of what leadership is, is that everybody's scared, including the leaders, right? But something happens that, yeah. that makes that one person who jumps up and just says, I've got to do something, whatever it is, whether it's start a business or start a family or, you know, do this thing or save these people or create whatever it is. And everybody else who is a little more scared than they was starts to see that gets massively inspired and movement. It creates movement. And that's why I love the word movement because leadership to me creates movement. It creates a current that everybody feels like they've got just a little push to flow yeah. with. Um, and yeah, Wonder Woman was just like one well, of my favorite examples of that. It's also, <laughs> it's brilliant because it is actually an action. Like, like you're saying, like leadership is a verb and it's a doing. And if you, if you were just a blowhard who talks about things, people are not going to be that inspired. <laughs> and mm -hmm. if you quietly, but with certainty start to do something, people will just take notice. So it's not even about how big or loud you are. It's about, it's about being effective and letting people see what you're doing. I'm, I'm curious, like Wonder Woman goes back to our childhood where, when did you start to see leadership in this kind of way? And were people inspiring you to do that? Or were you kind of reluctantly taking on leadership? Like, what was your take on that early on? No, I think I, I came from a MacGyver family um, and a lot of building, a lot of doing. And my dad owned an auto body shop. So my dad, um, he, in the summers when everybody got to go to camp, I got to go to my dad's auto body shop because my parents were divorced. <laughs> And he made, he could airbrush like um, using car magazines and all this kind of stuff. And he would airbrush me this purple um, desk, which it's funny now that purple is like my main color, purple. And it had my name on the front and I got to be his office manager. And what my dad gave me was ownership. Mm -hmm. So instead of micromanaging me and not letting me figure things out, he gave me ownership and I would follow him with clipboards to do estimates, you know, and I would take phone calls. And what he did is he gave me trust. 
right? Because and when you, if you give somebody ownership, you're implying trust. And I think if, if, peop, if you want people to work and do things and do amazing things, then they have to feel valued. And trusting somebody and somebody feeling like they're trusted and entrusted to do things, then all of a sudden they work harder and they want more because you have gifted them something that's actually very hard to get nowadays. Mm. And when we start to really give that and not and show that we're not giving it freely, we we that has to be earned. But when you give people the benefit of the doubt, you give them all the tools they need, and then you give them trust, and then you also give them an open line of communication for them to come back and say, "This is what yeah. I need help with." That creates this beautiful synergy that people can have together, where leaders aren't pushing their their leadership on you. They're giving you space, but they're giving you a two-way road for you to come back and say, here's where I need help and, and letting you know that you shouldn't be scared to ask for it. Like right. the people that make you feel like, I expect you to be this way and this caliber of person. And if you don't know everything, then I'm going to find somebody who does. And I think nobody knows everything. And when we give people the, the space to be wrong and learn from it, um, but learn from it quickly. And I think that's where you find out the people that are the real people is the people that mess up and how quickly they bounce back and how much it hits them. <laughs> and the people that bounce back quick and let it roll off their back, like those are those are your keepers. I was just thinking about how when I had people reporting to me when I worked in an actual office, whether it was interns or assistants, I told them that the thing that would be most disturbing to me is if they didn't ask me questions. Like there were yeah. so many moving parts and there was such a like learning curve and you know, the first few months, it was just like a constantly having to figure things out. I'm like, do not like spend 20 minutes on something, but if you still haven't figured it out, figure out the question and then come talk to me. Mm -hmm. Like, don't just say, I don't, it doesn't work. Be like, here are three ways we could go forward. Um, Mm -hmm. And I always use an example. I'm in Massachusetts. And when I first moved here from New York, the zip codes start with a zero. And Mm -hmm. the first time I malmerged, there was no zero in any of the zip codes. (laughs) And like, I, I couldn't understand why that was. And, you know, I figured it out and I would tell everybody, jo- you know, joining my team, I was like, you're going to run into that. <laughs> and that may not be the actual example, but like, do not, you know, hand write zeros in, <laughs> like, let's learn together. So that's cool. Were you, were you taking more formal leadership roles, like in school or camp or college? Like, or was it really, I mean, my father was a, uh, had owned flea markets, so uh, booths when I was younger. So I had a lot of the similar experience of like just sort of being in an adult world at a very young age mm-hmm. and um, being given like some autonomy. But but you said you shook your head no when I asked you if you took on actual no. leadership. God no no I God I didn't do any of those things. When you say that, I was never in team sports. Like I played tennis and I was in choir. Um, choir really doesn't count as a team sport. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to pretend it does, but it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and I, no, I never was the captain of anything. I never was the, I, I, for interestingly enough, I think I was a late bloomer. Um, I had a family that was very creative and wanted to cultivate creativity. We built a lot of things. We might, you know, my dad was writing a book when I was in high school and he, we'd come home from school and at dinner, he'd say, you know, what, who did you meet today? Like, what's something interesting that happened? What's a quirk about them? And maybe we can put that in, in my plot, you know, and we'd, <laughs> we'd read like the Hobbit together as a family. And we had a really hilarious ski hat that you got to wear when you were reading it. Um, like when I did homework, my parents would do other work like writing or whatever it was so that we were all doing it together. Mm-hmm. And there was like a very communal sort of approach to creativity. So I think I had such a 
lovely home experience from a creativity standpoint that I really never felt like I, like I was, I was the person in school that didn't have one click. I was like a part of everybody's, like I was nobody's best friend, but I kind of like got to hang out wherever I wanted. I would have really liked you. I, that was me in high school. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's really cool because it, it's partly why you probably understand how to relate to so many different kinds of people as you were building your movement, right? Like you, people, some people are like you and some people were like coming at it from a different angle, but you're like, oh, you can sleep part of this. Like I can see that. And other people have only one understanding of how the world works, you know? And so it's hard. Yeah. Well, we moved a lot. We moved like every two years and go. just, yeah. just because my family wanted to, like one of my favorite stories is we're in LA. My mom and my stepdad are high school sweethearts. They uh, come back together through an epistolary relationship, which is a relationship through letters. Yeah. Which I, yeah. And wow. um, we're in L- I'm in LA with my mom and he, my stepdad is going to move out and they're going to like live together and it's going to be a thing. Um, and we decide we don't want to live in LA because LA was like crappy um, and I couldn't leave. Like I had to play in the hallways of the apartment building because <laughs> it's dangerous. And so we get a hat and we all put, you know, states in a hat. We pulled out Virginia and we got put everything in a U-Haul and we drove from LA to Virginia. And on the way, my brother decided he wanted to live with us and his daughter decided. So I went from being mom and me in LA to being me, my brother, a stepsister <laughs> and a new dad in Virginia. And, and we basically just, we moved every two years. We just, they just got, and, and even when we, we lived in Houston, Texas for uh, six years, but we lived in four different <laughs> apartments. Wow. Yeah. They just get antsy and they would, they would move. So I was used to like jumping people yeah. and groups, but I'm also a Gemini. So I basically was like, well, I like cheerleaders, but I don't really want to be a cheerleader. And I'm like, you know, I like choir people, but I'm not like a full fledged choir person, you know? And like, like over here, I like the academic decathlon, but I'm not like a total academic. So I was kind of like half in a lot of things. <laughs> I was non-committal of all the all the stuff. Yeah. All the stuff. And, yeah. So I want to ask you a little bit about what you're doing today, but rather than just have you give me your your usual little pitch, I'm curious, what do you find most rewarding about what you're working on today? Well, I think that... Gosh, when it comes to moms, and especially moms that we would consider boss moms, which are moms that want to do more than just be moms, which um, I think is everybody, right? I think every, like whether you want to go to work where somebody's your boss, or where you want to start your own business, or whether you want to create your, you know, sew your own kids' Halloween costumes. Like we want to do more than just parent, um, and women feel massively guilty about that. Like not even just a little bit, like, like Mm. horribly guilty if your kids aren't the center of your universe. And then you feel horribly guilty when you find out that it's actually not healthy for your kids to be the center (laughs) of your universe. Right. And then you feel like if you love something that you're taking love away from your child, which is what I wrote boss mom about. Right. And then you feel bad if what you create isn't successful because you're feeling bad that it's taking away. Like, why am I spending this time when I could be with my kids? And then if it is successful, you feel bad because what does that mean about you? I mean, it's an, it's an endless foray of feeling really confused and bad about the choices we make, which is the worst part. Like, I talk about in my business decision support because that's what people need. Mm-hmm. If you felt really good about every decision you made, you would always feel good. Mm-hmm. It's our questioning of what we do. So what I am most fulfilled in and what I do nowadays 
is I've created a space where moms don't feel bad, right? They still feel bad sometimes, but they know there's a place they can go where we all get it. And they feel like they've found that place because there's a ton of mom entrepreneur spaces, but none of them have this space where we truly say like, no judgment, just dance parties. Like whatever you're doing, I don't care if I totally think what you're doing is going to screw your kid up. Like I'm going to recognize that I don't actually know. (laughs) And whatever I'm doing that you think is crazy, like you're going to recognize that we just come from completely different places and you don't know. Right. And so we just support each other. And then the other one is, and I spent a long time trying to figure out why I felt bad about calling myself a coach. Um, And it hit me last year uh, that I'm not a coach. I'm a consultant that I'm really bad at giving people space I'm doing air quotes space to find their answer. And I like brainstorming coming into solution and then helping you execute that solution. Like I'm a consultant, so I don't do long-term clients. I'm like, let's go in, let's solve your problem. And then I want you to spend your money on resources to make that, you know, make that mm-hmm. solution work for you. And once I got into that niche, that's this guilt of being like, I don't really like like coaching, but I love talking to people and I love solving problems. And it's so funny that the title that you have has such sway over what you think the perception is of what you're supposed to deliver. And when you find something that settles in right with you, all of a sudden mm-hmm. it opens up and you make a lot more money and you feel mm-hmm. a lot better and everybody feels a lot better. That was a long answer. <laughs> no, that was so great though. And I appreciate it. I mean, it's so funny you said the thing about coaching and consulting because I just I just switched something on my website from saying consulting to saying coaching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're um, opposite. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing the opposite. Yeah, because I, you know, I realized like, I sort of like you, like I have all these people I talk to all the time and I hadn't monetized it. And I was like, huh, this is, keeps happening. <laughs> I, that's a thing, you know, um, and, and I just recently published a book. And when you do that, you're like, that's an opportunity to redefine your business, right? Like yeah. suddenly people pay attention in a different way. And um, tell me a little bit about like the decision to write that book. It sounds like you were in a stressed, kind of a stressed place and wanting to like find, I don't know, something, some other people maybe who recognized what you were doing and like give you some support. Yeah. So, so I was always, um, I mean, I've had my consulting business for almost five, five years, um, the day I quit my job, uh, and everybody took me out, got drunk was the day I got pregnant with my son. So like, I joke that I became a mom and entrepreneur at the same day. And my husband totally always says that's way too much information for everybody, but I figure we're all adults. <laughs> so it's not, if you, if you're scared to talk about how babies are made, you're never going to be able to sell stuff in your business. Like that's how I feel about that. But, um, but I, yeah, I felt guilty for the first year. I didn't really make a whole ton, a lot of, a whole lot of money. And, uh, it was hard. It was, I loved my son, but I totally didn't want to be a stay at home mom. And then something beautiful happened. I moved back to California to be closer to my parents. So it's like negative 11. I'm in Columbus, Ohio. And I see, I'm in this cafe, you know, probably doing something that's not at all useful for me and my business. And I have my son next to me sleeping and he's like, three months old. And then there's a, like a mom, a daughter and a granddaughter, you know, in the, in the, and the grandma's like holding the baby and I start weeping and I go home and I tell Ryan, like, can we, I'm really close to my mom. My son, can we move back to San Diego and, or can we move to San Diego? Cause he'd never been there. And, um, and he was like, yes, I'll quit tomorrow. Like, this is not a hard sell. We live in Columbus, Ohio when it's freezing. <laughs> he's like, yes. And, uh, and he's a banker. He's a commercial banker. So it was actually not hard with Chase to like get moved out here. 
Awesome. Yeah. So we, within three months, we were packed up, had sold our house and moved to San Diego. And the beautiful thing is that if you're in a place where everybody that surrounds you doesn't get you, and you're in an actual physical environment where you feel like what you want isn't possible, move. Mm. And for anybody that thinks that's not possible, uh, you're wrong. It's totally like these things are all possible. Like you're only confined by the restraints with which you give yourself. So mm-hmm. we moved out here and all of a sudden it was like online entrepreneurship is not weird. And no. there are tons of mom entrepreneurs out here and yeah. there's events all the time. So I got hooked up with Live Your Legend. And I started hosting the Live Your Legend group, and which is like an entrepreneur, you know, support group. Um, and a girl from there invited me to Hal Elrod's Best Year Ever Blueprint in San Diego. And I went there. And from there, I met some people. And I met Azul Tronis, who was asked me to join a mastermind group and then wow. said, hey, we're in this mastermind. I, if anybody wants to write a book. And I was like, I would like to write a book. So him and I sat down and mapped out what it would look like. I thought I was going to write about content strategy and what came out was all this mom guilt. And so we basically decided to write Boss Mom when I put it out to the community and said, this is what I want to write in communities that weren't my own. Everybody was like, yes, where is this? Where can I join? And you just, we fanned the flame. So we did really good marketing for the book. Once the book came out, uh, we decided Boss Mom would be the name of my business. So it went mm-hmm. book to business, mm-hmm. sure. to online, my own online community, which is now about 21,000. And then, um, yeah, and then we started the Boss Mom Academy and the Boss Mom Boardroom. And now we have Raising Your Business, which is my like my main course. And then we have the Boss Mom Retreat. I mean, I'm not kidding. We Boss Mom everything. Wow. Boss Mom Minis. How, how many years ago did, was this like two. transformation? We started it two years ago. <laughs> I was like, I think I know the answer and I still don't believe you. Um, I, I work fast. <laughs> yeah. How old are your kids? Two and four. So I wrote Boss Mom while I was pregnant with my daughter. So half when I was pregnant with my daughter and then half after she was born. And actually what makes it so so fun about it all kind of coming full circle is I'm actually speaking at Hal's event this year. Wow. Which makes me like it's in a couple of weeks. And I was like, ah, like this feels, it feels like yeah. I made it. Yeah, you really <laughs> did. I mean, partly why I wanted you on this show is because of that quick trajectory that only happens if you're really good at relationships. And um, I also just want to mention the inspiration you're giving me because I mentioned uh, during the intro that I have a toddler and a newborn. And the truth is, while we're recording this, I'm still expecting that newborn. But when this airs, I will have like an eight-week-old. So, um, and I'm I'm a work-at-home dad and I'm committed to continuing to build my practice, my business and do all the parent things that I do. Um, and people are like, think it was um, like wrong and crazy and impossible with one child. <laughs> and Like I, I have four more projects that I'm launching next year. You know, like mm-hmm. I just, I cannot quit. Um, and partly I can't quit because when you're busy, you get more things done. I mean, that's just how life works. That's true. Well, two girls on my team have four kids each. Uh, wow. And they're the most productive people I know. You have to be at that point. <laughs> yeah. And, and they're way better parents than I like. They, way organized. They, yeah. They run a business at home. Like everybody, my kids never like, don't listen to me. I want to build tents. Like I'm a, like I have to like really work hard to discipline my kids because I want to have fun. But the girls on my team, like they just, they know and they work it and they, you know, and then I just, I have a good team. Like, to be honest, that's one of the goals is, um, 
that I want to, like, I don't want to do anything in my business except for what I'm really good at. Yeah. And that takes time. And we're, I just hired a director of operations and nobody else can see it unless you show this video, but she just, we just today went over this beautiful, beautiful process mapping of just my onboarding for clients. And we're going to do this for every Mm -hmm. part of my business. And by the end of the year, we're going to have process mapped everything and allocated anything that I'm doing that is not my best use of time where I could make, I mean, I make $600 an hour. So if I can make more money being on a call with somebody as opposed to doing this other thing that I could pay somebody else $100 or $200 an hour to do, then that I'm making money. So like this whole thing is the, the, I can't, you can't scale unless you know what you want to scale. And so we're at that time in my business where by June of next year, I want to be working half the amount of time, triple the revenue and mm-hmm. I want to truly be able to say I'm the CEO of my own business. Yeah. So speaking of people who built empires, and one of the people you've gotten a chance to know is one of my absolute uh, favorite people is Pat Flynn. Oh, yeah, Pat. Yeah. I wish I actually knew him personally. Um, he, he was part of how I ended up so in this path. I, I quit my day job that I'd been at for 10 years. I'd been speaking on the side for like six years at that point. I was ready to like see where this would go. My wife was very supportive. And that first year, there was no child. So like the child showed up literally 12 months from when, you know, I left my day job. But mm-hmm. the first six months, I was just like floating around and I, w- I started listening to his show. I listened to his entire backlog. <laughs> I wanted to do everything. Isn't that true? Like you get all the shiny object syndrome. I yes. mean, every, every guest he had on, like, oh, I could do that. I could do that. And finally, I learned a concept that I now realize he got from Jason Van Orden from business, uh, Internet Business Mastery, which is... The difference between just-in-time learning and just-in-case learning. Oh, yeah. And, I love um, that. It really helped me like kind of like, eh, stop. Okay. Like, get clear. And I was like, I'm going to launch a podcast. And, you know, I spent the next three months doing half my time planning for baby number one and half my time planning for podcast number one. So <laughs> um, it's really cool. And I know that you've had a chance to have him on your show and vice versa. And you've been at some events with him. I think... San Diego is the best place you possibly could be yes. for this kind of environment that you're in. I was like, you got to come out to San Diego if you want to hang out with I Pat. know, really. I mean, it's like he's at the coffee shop. Um, so what's a challenge? I mean, like in, in, you've described some of them, but like when you didn't have a team, when you were just had an idea, when the book was like taking off, but you had to still think about how to turn it into a business, you know, what was the biggest challenge there? And then how did you overcome that iner- that moment? Yeah. Um, that's, it's actually a difficult question for me because I don't, when I look back at things, I don't like look back and go, Oh, there was like a challenge. I had a challenge. Like for me, everything is logical. Like if we can just be a little more logical about how we jump into things, it's, it's funny. You mentioned the shiny object syndrome, because if I, every single client that I come that are, that's in my space that ends up hiring me, I, one of the first things I tell them is I don't care what you heard on Amy Porterfield's podcast. You're not allowed to do it unless you talk to me because she's super convincing about everything. Right. And I was like, you're not allowed to. And I was like, I'll tell you if you need whatever she has, or you should do whatever she has. But if I had a nickel for every time, I was like, Amy Porterfield just had this podcast and she says I need to do. And I'm like, no, 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 you do need to do that in like six steps. You know what I mean? So just, just calm down. Calm down. Yeah. It's linear. Yeah, but <laughs> not I not necessarily all at once. So w- one of the things I did is it, that I think helped me not feel so challenged is I'm j- I was logical. 
I was like, if I like you, I want to launch a podcast. What do I logically need to do in order to do a podcast? Mm -hmm. And then I, and then one of the things I think that I've done in the beginning that was dumb that everybody does is we go, well, I can do that and I can do that and I can do that. And so we end up doing a ton of things that we can do, but takes us 18 million times more uh, Mm -hmm. or longer than it would for somebody else to do. And in some ways we have to do that because you kind of kind of get in and get your hands dirty in your own business. But what but I think what you want to do, which I, I I think is part of the reason I've been able to get have this grow so fast, is I'm pretty good at seeing how quickly it is for me to recognize that I'm not the best at it, that I can mm-hmm. do it. I might even be able to do it well, but I could pay somebody else to do it 18 times faster. Like I have a designer on retainer. Right. And when I got out of college, like I did design, I was a, you know, a journal broadcast journalism major. So I had to do all the Photoshop, you know, and all that kind of stuff. When she does something, it's done in like five minutes and it's brilliant and it's beautiful and it'd be five hours for me. Right. And so that doesn't make sense. And I think the quicker, the challenge for people is that they, they hesitate. They hesitate to stop doing and to hand something off to somebody that could be better. And I honestly, I think people say they hesitate to do it because they don't know how to delegate or they're nervous to trust somebody. And I think it's because they're scared they don't know what they're going to do with their time when they give it away <laughs> that, that's going to earn them money. Like there's too many people, and, and I did this in the very beginning, but there's too many people that when you ask them, what are your revenue streams? How are you making money? And how are you going to make that money double if you needed it to? And they can't answer that question. And you can't run a business unless you know how your business is making money. Mm-hmm. And you can't hand off things where you could be more productive somewhere else if you don't know how you're going to be more productive mm. somewhere else. And I think that's where people get really scared. And they stay in this really busy mode where they're not actually doing anything that's useful for their business and they're wasting time and money. I can see why people want to talk to you when they're in this <laughs> space because you clearly get it. You know, uh, I know a big piece of what you talk about is... Um, I guess I'll phrase it as like work-life integration. So the frame here is work-life balance, but we're not going to call it that because that's not real. <laughs> and I get that. Um, but, you know, as a, I mean, I'm a work-at-home dad. So like I know how to be busy in 15 minutes and get something done if that's all I have. As an entrepreneur, it's really hard to know the difference between work and non-work. So my question maybe is, how do you know when you're not at work? Like, what does not being at work look like? Um, okay. So I guess I don't even look at it like that. Um, to me, there's no, there is no separation. Um, to me, I know where I am by where I'm present. Okay. So I can literally be in my kitchen making dinner and the kids are playing off in the corner and I'm thinking about a sales funnel and I'm present in, you know, this sales funnel and I'm just kind of non-present in working or in uh, cooking. Or I could be in the kitchen and I could be fully in like last night, my kids are on either side of me with their little kids knives and they're chopping, you know, mushrooms and uh, like way more, di- they dice mushrooms all the time. It's like the safest thing for my kids to, to cut. Way more mushrooms than we'll ever need. And, um, 
And I'm really present in that space. My kitchen is not a place where my work does not get to live. Like I don't live by spaces and time and things like that. It's really just what am I deciding at any given moment to give my attention to? Mm -hmm. Um, I can be laying in bed doing work. I could be laying in bed, paying attention to the TV. I could be talking with my husband. I could be playing with my kids. Like each space has the opportunity to be whatever it is I want to pay attention to. It just all leads to what I'm paying attention to. And the thing I need to be always be careful of is when I can't stop paying attention to work. That's when I get worried. When I'm, when I can't, even if I want to be present for my kids, Mm -hmm. that's when work's a problem, but it's not an hour thing. It's not a, you know, a space thing. It's about what am I capable of devoting focus to? And if I can't devote focus to my family, then I have a problem. And that's when I step back and I go, okay, what do I need to do that's causing me this? And sometimes it's a project I can't finish or a person that I'm having a hard time with on my team or some kind of thing that I can't solve or I can't get past. And that's when I go, who do I need to hire to help me get past this? Because I can't do it by myself. Um, Because if I physically can't get myself to be present, then there's no way I'm just going to figure it out on my own. And that's when I bring in reinforcements just to help me bring back to that ability to control who, where I went and where I want to be present to. Right. Because if you lose the ability to be present with your family, what's the point of being yeah. a boss mom? Like it's. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, there are totally some people that say at 5 p.m. I shut everything off and this is when I'm present yeah. and at 8, 8 a.m. And for me, I'm just maybe it's because I am not like my husband loves routine and I don't. Like mm. I like to have different things happening all the time. Mm. Um, and so for me, yeah, I don't, I don't like one space to be defined. Like I like, uh, we literally have a box or a book that's called, this is not a box. And it's all about all the things that you can imagine a box being <laughs> so that I can teach my kids that there are, is no box <laughs> <laughs> or like in the matrix, like uh-huh. we always say, like, like it's going to really blow your mind. Like to imagine like, what if there is no spoon? <laughs> yeah. Like, for any of you matrix people that understand what I'm saying. It's very postmodern humor in your household. It sounds like. It is. It <laughs> is. Oh, we use Seinfeld humor all the time. Uh-huh. I don't know. For anybody that watches <laughs> yeah. Seinfeld, my husband will, anytime someone doesn't want to do something, my husband just goes, I'm not taking anybody to the airport. Like that's our <laughs> phrase. So um, this podcast focuses on leadership and networking. And the reason we, leadership is, is, the frame is because networking in a vacuum is just like a theory. And I think it's really, it's a practice. It's a thing we do. And, and to be successful in any field means that you understand something about relationship building. And we were talking about this earlier about what you've done in the last couple of years. It's been really remarkable. Um, as you're meeting people um, you're, throughout your life, like you've, you've had all these different experiences, are you doing anything purposeful to nurture those connections. And I don't mean you're like closest people, but like mm-hmm. the second and third and fourth rung out, like, do you, you know, do you have a practice around that or is it more sort of ad hoc? Yeah, no, definitely. Okay. So, uh, I'm really strategic about the people that I surround myself with for sure. Um, for the people that I can't dedicate time to, um, I connect them with people that, that they can, right? So people that are sort of maybe in their same circle, like the part of why I love our Boss Mom Retreat, which is our big event we just had in North Carolina, um, is because that's part of what it is. I want to create friendships. So everybody feels like they have a connection and I've helped facilitate that connection. Um, but yeah, I am, I, 
have on my team. Danielle helps me follow up so that I'm connecting. My goal when I meet somebody, I tell people that your only sole goal should be to make an inside joke with somebody new because who cares what you do? Like who cares whatever dumb conversation you guys are going to have that both of you are going to forget at some networking event. Like if you can either have an experience together or, uh, you know, or make an inside joke together, you know, with Pat, you find the thing that he cares about and you start joking about back to the future, you know, or you do something like that. And, and the, what I tell everybody is like, when I, when I connect with somebody, whether it's somebody who needs to hire me to do something, someone who has nothing to do with what I'm doing or someone that I would love to be friends with because they're, you know, three steps up for me or one step up for me, we're all equal. And I always approach complete equal, like round table King Arthur sort of stuff Mm. because I don't go, I don't go up to Pat and go, Pat, I worship at your feet. Everything you do is the reason that I exist. And then he's going to be like, well, that's great. I don't want to talk to that person anymore. (laughs) Right. We're just two people hanging out. And the person who's just starting their business, who's not making any money, we have the same conversation because it's not just about who I can like connect with. Like to me, connections are about, we all have value to give. How can we just have an enjoyable time together, make a few jokes, maybe be helpful to each other. And when you approach it like that, it takes the pressure off. And now people feel very included and connected and you feel more like friends and the more friends you can make, the more things friends do for each other. Sure. That's basically how it works. Oh yeah. No, I mean, boy, I'm so glad I met you. (laughs) (laughs) I just love hearing people talk about what I what I live and breathe in a different way. And it's 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 true. And this piece about not putting people on pedestals or not putting yourself on a pedestal is really, really important. I want to underscore that because I think even when people have an opportunity, like you were in that in that program with Hal Elrod, who wrote um, Miracle Morning, which I've mentioned on the show a number of times. I love the whole series. Um, I think some people would meet him and he's got an incredible story of his own. And then built that incredible um, series of books. Some people do approach him or Pat Flynn or um, any number of people as fans. And mm-hmm. while I'm sure they appreciate having fans, like then you're just one of a number of fans. And that's, there's nothing really special about you when you're a fan. But if you can be a friend and like treat them as a human being, <laughs> and like, you know, with Pat, it's, you know, he loves his kids his family and he loves back to the future. And it's like, he's giving you all the hints. It's, it's like, you don't need to even know him very well to know all these things. And so it's just kind of like, yeah. Um, I actually think asking about people's kids has been one of my best icebreakers once I became a parent. Um, Cause then, you know, it takes people outside of that business setting. And mm-hmm. like next, you know, we're talking about, and especially if their kids are way older, they like reminisce about what it was like when their kids were my kid's age and mm-hmm. they'll like share stories and like insights and just get them talking about something they're truly passionate about, which is in that moment happens to be parenting, mm-hmm. um, it lets them light up a little bit. So it sounds like you found that way of doing that no matter where you go. And that plus having some assistance to help you think about follow-up has been like helping yeah. you nurture that, that network you've built. Well, think too, an easy thing to do too is think about if you had to walk up in the middle of a, like in the middle of a story that you were going to give. So a lot of times think about if they've just been on stage or you've seen something they're done or something that you know from what they've done because you're a fan of theirs, right? And you go up and you go, you know, like Pat Flynn, the the intro to hit for my episode with him is that he loves Ryan Reynolds. Um, 
you know, and so basically if you, you know, you walk up and you're like, Hey, Pat, so, um, I heard this episode you had and it had, you know, that you love Ryan Reynolds. And interestingly enough, Ryan Reynolds is the only person in my top five that my husband would also make out with. So, you know, so that's fun. And you just, now all of a sudden, you know, he wants to go into his story and that's actually not at all how Pat and I met, but but the idea is, you know, there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh my gosh, you were up on stage and you said this one thing. And this reminds me of that one time. And the quicker you can get into storytelling for you and them, and you can prompt something where they get to tell a story and you get to tell a story, all of a sudden, you know, things about each other. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you go, Hey, over, let's go get a drink together. Or let's go get a coffee together. And you start having experiences. And the best things are like, if I, if at the end of meeting somebody, you know, and a weekend of hanging out with somebody at a conference, you can say, oh my gosh, do you remember the coffee incident of 2017? Where, you know, the, that thing that happened that you both know exactly what you're talking about. Like that's the inside joke is that you mm. guys, you know, recognize that funny thing that happened to somebody, or you had this really deep conversation together. That's yours. And it's only yours. Like, like I, I, it's a, it's a joke to say you guys should feel comfortable having a pillow fight together, but like, that's what you want to get to. You know what I mean? Like you want to be able to like, feel like you guys would meet each other's children and go out to dinner and like share a bed in a hotel if you needed to. And that's, and, and that's the kind of thing that I think people get scared to do, but everybody wants friends and we're all searching for connection. So just connect more. Yeah, absolutely. I love everything you're saying. And I, I'm so excited by what you're building, this Boss Mom movement. I'm actually curious because I do hope we meet in person. And, but let's say we got a chance to check in a year from now, mm-hmm. you know, and we're celebrating all of your wins. What would, what would we be celebrating? I, you've got so many grand plans. I want to hear like you lay it out again. World domination. Yeah, Bo- <laughs> Boss Mom. <laughs> It's going to be like from, from like out in space to like look down and there's like boss mom spelled out across the like uh, Sahara desert, you know, like <laughs> boss mom. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So I had mentioned, I want to be truly be the CEO of my own business. Like that's, and, and to, to say that, I think we're way too lax about when, when we use that term. Uh, but I really want it to be where um, my business is almost run without me, uh, because that's that means I've done I've done the thing, the ultimate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I like every year. I my goal is just to double revenue, which ex- exponentially becomes better and better. And I've done that so far, but mm-hmm. uh, two years doesn't really count for much. My husband, would, the banker, would tell me <laughs> that, I, that I, it's I, not a no trend. Trends. No yeah. trends. <laughs> That's what he would say. Yeah, you need at least exactly. three years for trends. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. And then I think there are, I mean, I'm, we're working right now to get me an agent so I can get my third book traditionally published. So mm-hmm. I want to be able to do that. I want to be on the New York times bestseller list. Uh, like I have a, a long bucket list of, yeah. of things that are, uh, that some of which I don't, I like to add stuff to my bucket list all the time. It's like, Ooh, that looks fun. We should make that on my bucket list. But I mean, ultimately because I feel like success is me just waking up and actually wanting to get out of bed and enjoy my day, mm-hmm. um, is that I have the freedom that, that, that whatever I want to do, I'm, I'm able to do it without being stressed out about what I have to do. Like yeah. that is my ultimate goal. Like if I can get up in the morning, I can, the kids are like, let's go to Disneyland. And I'll be like, you know what? 
let's go to Disneyland today. And I can totally step away from my business, Mm -hmm. make money while we're at Disneyland, spend money while we're at Disneyland and everybody's happy and not Mm -hmm. stressed out about it. Like that's the environment I want to create because freedom is just a word we we talk about a lot. And and often we start businesses and it takes our freedom and we have babies and it takes our freedom. Yeah. And so uh, my goal is to earn it back. Yeah, that's powerful. I'm so excited to watch your your world soar. It's very inspirational. Uh, again, like I'm I'm only a couple of years behind you in this whole thing, and uh, well, it was, it's really exciting. And I'm glad we got a chance to have this conversation. Thank you so much. Where can people find you and follow your work? Yeah, so boss-mom.com uh, is the easiest place that'll take you to our Facebook community and to um, all the fun resources that we have, to the podcast, to everywhere. You can learn a bit about us and who we are and more of what we do. Um, yes, that's the easiest place. And it's beautifully designed um, by my... Um, She's now like my all things tech, but Samantha Johnson from Neapolitan Creative is like my world right now. So <laughs> she makes everything I, you know, she, her and Lila Higgins from Higgins Creative, like make everything I have beautiful and it makes me so happy. They make you look good. <laughs> they do. They, they do. do. Yeah. Actually, I have a stylist that actually makes me look good. But. <laughs> well, I will put all the links uh, into your show notes. People can find you and uh, learn more about you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dana. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 79. That's also where you'll find all the links from today's episode. And don't forget, I'm offering a complimentary 60-minute strategy session for anyone interested in learning more about my Intentional Connections Mastermind, an online group coaching program for women coaches and speakers. If you are ready to shift, discover, and act, sign up for your complimentary 60-minute strategy session at robbysamuels.com forward slash mastermind. And if you enjoyed this episode with Dana, please Share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I would love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.